The lament of Alvin Lee there was 10 years after so many years ago. So prophetic starts out our show every day. I can get it to play and get it to work. And uh, most of the days it does Uh, today included. It's a Friday. Of course, it's the 26th of October, last day of the last full week of uh, the devil's month. And uh, normally we got Brent uh, with us. He hadn't uh, checked in yet this morning. That's pretty unusual. Uh, don't know why, but I'm sure that uh, we'll hear for, uh, from him, A, as we go forward. Uh, obviously, Roger Sales here at Radio Ranch, a People's Patriot Network, and a uh, uh, pretty important day today. Uh, the, there's a heavy sense in the air, and uh, since Brent's not here, usually we wouldn't really delve into the financial stuff, but it's of preeminent importance, I think, especially today for a number of reasons. Uh, last day of the last full week of devil's month part of it as you know historically this is a uh, volatile month for markets and this month this year certainly has been no difference in the aspect of volatility and we've even seen some uh, of the negative impact on the mainly the stock market uh, here week before last, last week, whenever it was, dropped 1,300 points in one week, two successive days. And they piped, uh, went in, tried to patch it up as best they could. They pumped it up last Friday. And uh, then Monday, they pumped on it again. It disintegrated again Tuesday and Wednesday. And they pumped it up yesterday. And uh, being as that it's Friday, Friday's an important day, I guess, in the investment world because the weekend's coming up. And uh, they don't like people going away Friday afternoon to think about their weekend, their golf game, their trips with their family, their whatever, with all this bad stuff hanging over them because it makes people think and it makes them indecisive. And especially when there's as many bad signs in every direction as we've got these days. I mean, every vector has just got uh, tremendous tremendous problems there i'm not telling you anything new of course but uh once again you get into the conceptual realm of synergy and and the fact that all those vectors coming to a central point makes not just a reaction but an exponential reaction you know yeah for every vector you add it's not just a three to four times as worse it goes from three to seven or three to nine or three to and and the jumps get bigger and in bigger exponents the more that those vectors are added into the equation so we're there all right and uh, uh, I always try and watch them and see how they react and they get predictable really but when you know the game and so this morning here right before the show or as I'm getting my day started, got up a little earlier today. That makes things a little easier for sure. Um, and uh, gets to be, of course, it's, uh, we're central time now. And I guess our, uh, I'm not sure when the time change is. I'm sure it's real soon uh, in the next couple of weeks. And when that happens, for me, as it relates to you guys, you guys, most of the people in the country, there's a couple of exceptions, most of the people in the U.S., the continental U.S., change times, and you uh, fall back, you go back to the normal cycle. 
well, we don't change in Ecuador, that we're on the equator. Okay, I mean, at literally, the sun rises and sets every day at the same time. Pretty unusual. But when you guys change times, because we don't, I have to change my time in the way that I relate to everything. So it changes my life pretty dramatically when it happens, even though that hour makes a whole lot of difference, surprisingly enough. Okay, well, Shane's going to call in and join us. Morning, Shane. How you doing? Good morning, Raj. Yes, it's very crazy out there. Boy, you're not kidding. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, it, if this will continue or if it, oh, no. uh, it's going to blow up. No, 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 no. It's going to continue and it's going to get worse because they will never give up everything they've got into the core, core of their little psychopathic beings drives them to do these absolute crazy things. Did you get a bomb yesterday, Shane, by any chance? Um, I haven't checked my mail. Okay, well, that's pretty smart of you. But, you know, it's a funny thing, see? These bombs are getting mailed all over the place, aren't they? And every one of them has under postage because for that weight, it's $3.50, and all they're putting is $3 on there, and none of the stamps are canceled. Now, uh, you know, most people wouldn't pay attention to that, but I used to work for uh, a company I affectionately refer to as Pitney Blows. Well, I used to work for them for a few years, and they're the postage meter people. And so I'm, I'm particularly aware of that. I saw it brought out in an article with some pictures. None of the bombs are canceled. The stamps aren't canceled. So they weren't delivered by the post office. Or if they, if they were, it came through the back door somehow. It'll be interesting if they can see uh, and trace this back and nail somebody on it. Uh, and, uh, the, the, of course it's obviously such a false flag. The first person to get one, as we talked about yesterday is Soros. <laughs> I mean, the fu- you know, delivered? there's an old, uh, uh, am I saying what chain? Are you saying that they are delivered? I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm saying. You draw your own conclusions. What I'm saying is what I saw. There's $3 worth of, of stamps on a package that should be mailed for three fifty, and the stamps aren't canceled. I mean, occasionally, occasionally packages come through the post office where, for whatever reason, they don't cancel the stamp, meaning cancel, meaning they stamp it so that you can't reuse it, okay? Do you know the story of stamps? This is pretty interesting, actually, just a little sidebar, only because, as I said, I worked, uh, I slaved in the, (laughs) I slaved at Pitney Blows for a few years there. Uh, and that's an interesting story on its own. My real, in my total career years, my one real brush with corporate America, Pitney Blows. And so uh, it's an interesting company. It's a fine company, really. They're highly rated. Hey, Robert, how you doing this morning? They're, they're a highly, ra- highly rated company as, as it pertains to being a good company and good to their employees and all that stuff. But Atlanta was the worst branch in the entire system, notoriously. For what reason, I don't know why. Uh, still don't. But regardless how that company started, there was in Chicago, they've got underground tunnels underneath the city, or they used to have, I guess, that were more used when it gets into the real cold winter months. And if from those tunnels back, I don't remember, it's somewhere in the early part of last century, uh, somebody dug up under from the tunnels into the post office and stole a million dollars in that day worth of stamps. 
And so it gave, I, I don't remember if the guy's name, which one of the ones that came up with the idea was Pitney or Bose or Blows, as I call them, Pitney. Uh, let's just say it was Pitney. So Pitney there is in Chicago, and he got the idea of the stamp machine where you as a, a business could rent the machine and you can go to the post office and put money on it and then you basically print your own postage and so that he tried to get that idea uh, uh into a corporation for decades and then somehow met somebody real fluent influential in washington dc probably mr blows and somehow the company magically appeared and as i said the guy it's good company stuff i just always thought that story was interesting if you want to see shane you called in the other day and said you wanted to see the plunge protection team yes all right were you, are you in front of your computer um no actually i'm, I'm outside and therefore all right, well, when you go in in a few minutes, what I want you to do, and anybody else that wants to see this and see it really vividly uh, illustrated, is go to traderschoicechoice.net. Net. Yeah, dot net. It's traderschoice.net. Pretty easy to remember. And go in there and look at the green up candlesticks from the opening of the bond market this morning. I, I I live very few times. Well, now you can back that because that little uh, that little uh, uh, ind indices here he's got there for us is is really slickly set up because once you get your cursor in the field, if you'll back your mouse down, you, you can see all of the previous activity up to a point. I'm not sure how many days they run it, but uh, man, you can see the arrays very vividly. I can see three of them that are just about painted the same way. And today's versus last Monday's, you can see Monday's, and it's absolutely the same. And then a few days previous to that, boom, same thing. So there's your plunge protection team, the green candlestick, Shane. You can see them real prominently, and you, we can understand them because we know from all of the uh, introspection and analysis that we do that the bond market's extremely critical. This 10-year bond is a real, real key indices for the entire overall economy because it dictates the rate structures on loans for things like cars and mortgages and, and everything. Okay, so that's a real big deal, and we know that countries like China is selling them, Japan is selling them, India uh, bought 90 tons of gold last month, M last month or month before in a recent reporting, and that is almost half of the world's monthly gold production. One country bought it, and they're selling U.S. treasuries to buy that. Okay, so you got all the and you got the people around the world that just flat are hating our country uh, and they they attribute it to Trump. But Trump's trying to straighten out what these monsters have done to us for so many decades. Why? How are they doing all of this crap? Because you're property and they can collateralize you. Seems like he may be losing his telephonic connection. Oh, come on. Well, I guess it's just us. Oh, man. Yeah, 
All right, I should be back by now. It, uh, listen, it's just these blasted technical problems I'm having, and that is absolutely with my machine and the, the Wi-Fi hookup. Yes, okay, Greg, thanks. Uh, let me see if I can get so what's going on here. Uh, Shane, are you there? Chris? God bless, I get so damn disgusted. What is going on here? Resume call. Hello. All right, hold on. Let me see. It won't kick in as usual. Shane, is that you? Can I talk to anybody? I cannot get Skype to kick everybody back in. I have not. Let me see here. What in the call on hold? Call resume call. You hit resume call, it doesn't do anything. You guys have all got a call up. Let me hang that up. And now let's see if we can get this put back together. Shane, are you there? Are you there, Shane? Oh, man. I tell you what, I despise Microsoft with an absolute purple passion. These people are the scourge of the earth putting out this garbage in their <laughs> updates. Hello, Shane. Okay, I heard Chris. You're back finally. I I tell you what, I'm, you could fry an egg on my forehead right now, I promise you. Um, <laughs> it's a, these are these intermittent problems. This is a problem with the Wi-Fi connection on my computer. Okay? And uh, uh, so I, I haven't... I reloaded the software the other night. It shouldn't be there. Anyway, I'll mess with it over the weekend and see what we can get to see if we can get this thing straightened out. So as I was saying, wherever the heck I was so darn rudely interrupted by this technical garbage that keeps plaguing us, um, it, it, all of these things, if you want to see these things in action, you can see that plunge protection team right over there. Uh, so the important thing about today is what happens in the afternoon because they can get in there and pump all they want especially on a friday but as their efforts and it comes towards the close of the market and they don't control at that point then the herd mentality controls and today i'm sure you'll remember us talking about cliff high's prediction and the fact that about the first of the month he said i've seen the pattern before in the information and he said, that's why it caught my eye. And he said, one of the next three Fridays at the close of the day, Bitcoin's going to do a small upturn. Now, here we are with all this volatility and the price of Bitcoin hadn't moved out of the 6,400 range uh, uh, all week. And yep. in fact, maybe two weeks. Okay. I, it gets so bad, I was going to look over. I said, let's see, I'll bet it's about $64.6,419. And I clicked over, and it was exactly on that. Okay, So they've kept it in this real, real tight range, and that's going to change, evidently, if Cliff stuff's correct, this afternoon. So this afternoon, whatever your time zone, when you start looking 2, 3 o'clock uh, in Eastern time, right before the markets close, let's see what Bitcoin does, and then we'll have something really interesting to discuss on Monday now, won't we, guys? Oh, yeah. One way or the other. See, one way or the other. Do what, Robert? You anticipate it potentially going up? 
I don't see how it can help but go up. And as today, and with all of those other circumstances, it being a Friday, it being an afternoon, us having all the uncertainty and people painting everything black. Well, let me tell you what what happened here. Well, well, what happened this morning? Let me just refresh Zero Hedge and make sure they get. Well, see, they got new stories. Here's here's some more. Here's a man arrested in connection to suspect, suspected explosive packages. All right. Uh, uh, so that's the title. We'll, we'll look at it. There's the six stamps that aren't canceled, by the way. If you want to see that, what I'm talking about illustrated on the picture next to the article, there is Zero Hedge. But the next story is the one I wanted to concentrate on because the FANG stocks dropped yesterday afternoon. They kept them pumped up all day, but again, in the afternoon, as this concept I'm telling you about, it, 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 they start to drop. They lost a pretty good bit, and then this morning, Amazon lost 10%, and it's down 20% from its recent highs already. So the fangs, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, that little group of stocks that they've intentionally pumped up, you know, here's Google, it's the uh, and the ones that are also got heavy ties with the, uh, of course, Israeli bunch at every every corporation. I was watching video the other night. They made a conscious uh, 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 plan here a while back. This was a video on that plan to take over the corporations from the inside by putting a ferrocyte Mossad bastard at the top of every corporation or in the top echelon of every corporation. And now all, Intel, Dell, all these have cutting edge uh, 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 laboratories over guess where. So uh, anyway, those are losing steam, and that's what they're going to. That's what they've been using to keep all the rest of the markets propped up is the these high tech stocks. And if you those that are really pay attention to this stuff, you may remember when was it six seven years ago at one of the Davos meetings when they first had Bezos there. Bezos and all the high-tech guys were specifically uh, spotlighted at one of the Davos meetings. That's because they were setting this up. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, you could have got, you could have bought Amazon stock right after 9-11 for $5.15 a share. It's, it's, uh, its highs have been over 2000 I believe, here recently. That's a lot of gain, folks. That's a little, that's the kind of gain percentages we're going to see in our cyber currencies and our gold and our silver here. And I think it may really that we may be being as it were right out leading out front, understand all this stuff way ahead of the average guy. I think, you know, have our finger on the pulse, uh, especially from the alternative position, you might say. I think we're going to start seeing. I think we're going to start seeing this afternoon, this thing turn, and then of course the elections are right around the corner. All this stuff like bombs and uh, nuclear war with Russia and backing out of treaties and Syria and the Ukraine and you, should I go on? Yeah, man. <laughs> So you know, uh, Roger. Yes, but it's not without some view of the world that Mr. Jeff Bezos, uh, maybe a play on names by calling Bezos, uh, these faux fang stocks all belong to the uh, super secret senior executive service deep state. And the global bank. Well, they certainly they certainly control them. They probably are owned 
by a few less people, I would think. The majority, you know, they like to keep that stuff in-house, and we can only really guess at the way they structure themselves, but it doesn't take too much deduction and logic to see, at least in a general sense, of how they structure themselves. They use corporations. They're all straw mans. They're all interconnected. They got straw corporations in front of straw corporations, and uh, and they uh, launder their money through the uh, British laundering factories in the Caribbean, for the most part. Uh, uh, of course, they've got their own banks. Uh, and the HSBC is, you know, the uh, Shanghai bunch of of drug money launders. By the way, I was watching some program. I was watching a long video on the China situation, and they've got a lot of different background in it. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I still hadn't finished the thing. Um, uh, it's done by one of these British reporters that's like real professional, and you'd know who he is. I just can't call his name. And... Um, he was going into the American history of the China drug trade with pictures and stuff and, and camera film from back at the turn of last century when we were in there dominating China and the opium trade and the Boxer Rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, the main guy that had the biggest position in, from America, you know who that was? You got to guess. Hmm, I'm going to guess it was either Rothschild or Rockefeller. Anybody else want to venture one, Robert? Robert must be on Delano. Franklin Delano, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's father. You repeat me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they mentioned another guy in that thing prominently, too. But they, they uh, uh, and I knew that, but I didn't know as much as I know now after watching that, what I saw in the video. Uh, but regardless, the other thing they were covering at the first of it is when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and we'll get back on track here in a second, was it covered the Marshall Islands and uh, Bikini Atoll and the uh, uh, the, a- the atom bomb or the nuclear bomb explosions and tests there in the 50s, of which my father was a part of. Uh, my dad was stationed out there in one in year because I was I think I was six years old and we had to go and live back in Panama City at the family home for a year while he was stationed over there. And uh, he wasn't in any kind of a super active role. It was kind of peripheral role, just flying people around from island to island and stuff, I guess. A lot of spare time on his hands. And, but, uh, uh, but, I, but that ca- always catches my interest, obviously. So I'm looking at it and watching it. And uh, the, when they exploded that bomb on Bikini Atoll, that's where the bikini mm. came from. Part of the Charles Bernays publicity stunt was some designer came up with this skimpy little bathing suit and named it after the atomic tests in the Pacific. <laughs> bikini. <laughs> Teeny weeny yellow bikini. I, I mean, you know, you, you just get to a point when you can see things and just flat put them together. And the more you put them together, the more you know the enemy. And the more you undress him, let me tell you what, the, the more you know him and the better you can undress him, the easier he is to whip. 
because he ain't got the nothing. They're all they're all chicken ship high in transits. Okay, uh, they got to have all this power and all this prestige and all this stuff behind them to be able to pull their game off. When they get stripped naked, they ain't nothing but a bunch of chickens. Naked shorts appear. When the tag goes out. I mean, I, this happened maybe six, seven years ago. It just popped in my mind. Uh, back when people used to use it. You know how everybody gets just so much email and stuff and all this information is flowing? Well, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, email traffic and solicitation stuff is almost down to, a, 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 a you know, the low is the activity on the stock market. Okay. So uh, somebody sent me a picture. It made me sick. All right. I've still got it saved somewhere. Uh, and it was over there in uh, in Satan's sandbox. And, and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, had broken into a house. And they had this, she's maybe 16, 17-year-old little girl, little Arab girl, down on her knees with a blindfold on. And there's five of these, might have been 18, 19-year-old Israelis decked out in their bandoleros and their M16s and all their fancy weaponry that we're giving them and paying for that they're stealing from us on top of that. And they're around her with the biggest grins on their face. And one of them's got his tongue stuck out to the side. And if I could have reached in that picture, I'd have slapped his sorry little Israeli I ask silly okay I mean it makes you sick the way these people are when you see it real mm. they are some sickos uh, remember the fellow I was telling you about the seething frog yeah, I went and checked his website out. I'd seen him before, Chris. Some I'd seen one of his videos or something. I kicked into one of them. He's a very distinguished kind of guy, Mr. Seething Frog. He had a very intriguing series that just unleashed, and he was talking about the North Carolina Biltmore Hotel Pool, the largest mansion in the U.S. that has some connections to the artiste, so-called, who did the paintings for Jimmy and John, or John and Tony Podesta, and the pedophile group of the Ping Pong Pizza Entourage of James Elefantes and uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the pedo little St. James Island, Hemp L, Clinton, and uh, other pedophilic interest that proliferate down there well you know i never got up to that place i saw i've seen some pictures and stuff of it uh and i traveled north carolina for four years um occasionally uh but i always wanted to go up there and the that's vanderbilt money isn't it well, I'm not sure who funded the hotel. Now, that I, would be I, very likely. I, no, I believe it was the Vanderbilt money, the railroad tycoon people, and uh, uh, he—that's a—it's a huge, as you said, it's the biggest mansion in the country. Uh, it's been turned into a museum now. You pay and go in, see all the artifacts, take a tour of the grounds, and all that stuff. I know, but um, that. Uh, painting and it depends on when they did it it couldn't have been done when the mansion was originally done uh because that's been a long time but boy it's a majestic place i would think everybody if you haven't ever seen it put put uh, uh the biltmore castle in a search engine and look at that place it's majestic 
but it is that family and uh uh and, and so obviously with that much financial success and connections they at least have rubbed shoulders with this for a long time you know i'm talking about the uh all of the demented things that come with that agenda big money that is pro <laughs> that is prosecuted by these absolute repulsive people i mean they're just repulsive Oh, absolutely. In fact, he also does a rundown, and he's got one called um, something about Donald Paul Trump, where does he really lie, and he draws out the connections. Going back to Truman and Eisenhower and Carter and Reagan and the whole line of them, how they're all just controlled puppets, useful idiots, uh, perhaps maniacs or other aspects. or patriots uh you'd have to go uh, you got to think that kennedy uh you know uh, was on the right track and they took care of that uh reagan uh, started down the right path and they tried to uh do him in real early or at least let him know who's boss um but if you get back to you get back to the people that had power and control and had the office i guess you'd have to go back to coolidge and harding especially Coolidge. I think Coolidge was just an absolutely, the more I learned about him and see his place in this whole thing, the way it has unfolded over a hundred, the last hundred years, uh, for sure. You got to tip your hat to that guy. Yeah. He had a pretty intriguing role, but it was pretty subscript and kept silent. Although he was pretty well on the right track. Well, he, that's why they got, that's why he got the nickname silent Cal Cause he never said much. But you can look at. <laughs> well, at least I didn't get it out. <laughs> uh, uh, no, he just never said much. He was a man of very few words. Evidently, he's the one that uh, somebody I read this lately. These uh, these socialite women that uh, that had connections to those circles. One of the young women took out a bet with another woman, and she said, I'll bet I can get him to say more than three words. And the other girl took her up on the bet, okay? And so she got and approached him, was able to, and said, I have a a bet that I can get with my friend that I can get you to say more than three words. You know what he said? Mm -mm. You lose. You lose. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. Obviously, he had a heck of a sense of humor. (laughs) Must have. (laughs) <laughs> so but if you if you look back historically and i haven't done a lot of study on him I, I i'm finding him more and more interesting but one of the things he did was the first manufactured depression they tried to pull off was in 2021 22 21 22 era and uh evidently what that was meant to do was there was a whole lot of banks in the country, especially out west, that had not joined up with the new highfalutin Federal Reserve System. And as you know, they don't like that. And so they had this uh, mini depression uh, to get farmers off the land, because a lot of them had taken out loans with those banks, and to bring the banks that remained back into the new Federal Reserve System. And that would have normally lasted a number of years and uh, Coolidge made the appropriate economic moves early on in it that it only lasted six months legitimately 
okay and and so he had the power to pull some stuff off and he had the wisdom and insight uh so he might be a guy worth studying a little bit into if you're interested in history and that kind of thing i wasn't alive then roger but i do recall some reading and my due diligent uh, assimilation of information that there were some things that went back in the late 1800s early 1900s that had depression-like uh, actions on the nation uh, by the Bond King gangs. And the, the Farm Loan Act and some other aspects of that of trying to get control of people's prop, uh, property in the form of the old Roman traditions and, uh, uh, of course, uh, putting away storehouses of food and then taking all their land to get them under control uh, bear a strong parallel to these different cycles of so-called bankruptcies yeah and it's the same people and you can look back in the historical uh viewpoint and look at what was the big trigger that uh, listen they knew they were going to put a central bank in they knew that they weren't they, these people never quit thomas jefferson's proclamation of constant vigilance was exactly dead on because they yeah. never quit okay and, and, and so you can see after after uh, Jackson shut them down in 1835, they come back, they set this system up, and you know they had it in mind. You know how they had it in mind, Chris, how I know? Because they've got the debt clause in the 14th Amendment. If you read down, we always concentrate on just the first clause of the 14th Amendment. But if you read down through it, there's another clause. Privileges and immunities is one of them that follows that. And then uh, uh, later on down, it says nobody can argue or dispute the national debt. Well, they knew they were going to run it up. Okay, so you get on through the century and you get it set up to the turn of last century, the 1900s. And what really triggered them being able to get the Federal Reserve Act through the panic of 1907 and 1907 was a manufactured panic where do you have you ever done any reading what settled the panic in the public's mind? Get get your barf bag out, all right? What settled the panic in the public's mind was, as I've read, the great J.P. Morgan physically scrolled onto the floor of the Wall Street Stock Exchange and told everybody everything was going to be all right. That's what, <laughs> that's what quelled the 1907 panic. Hmm. And that panic right. is what they use politically to then go in and set up a committee to go over to Europe for a couple of years and study the European banking system. You hmm. know, you know who who spearheaded that? He was a senator. Hmm. He was a senator that married his daughter into the Rockefeller family. Fill me in the name. Uh, one of the Rockefellers had his middle name, and I, his name escapes me at the moment. Probably somebody will shoot it to me in a message here. If not, it'll come to me in a minute. But that senator went back over uh, to Europe, had a committee. They spent at least a, a year or two in Europe going around and learning about the, uh, the uh, central bank system that was 
instituted the Rothschild Central Bank, the Rothschild and Ferrisite Powell Central Banking System that was set up that was hovering over Europe, which was, and this is very important, see, they'd been in control for a while, and they'd already sucked all the European countries they control into a heavy debt position, and they couldn't go to war in World War I so they could start this change of the world ownership, so they could go in and get the Balfour Declaration floated, so they could get little Satan sandbox set up over there, off a declaration, off of some English monarch that's the that's the whole basis of all this stuff the balfour declaration mm. what gave him any right uh. to give them this land down there those people had lived together peacefully side by side for thousands of years it's only in the turmoil we got now is because of this little bastard bunch that are the same ones that are connected and running the world the paris treaty of so-called peace of eternal war Oh, man, I tell you, you know, it's a truth is a heavy burden, guys. You know that old cliche? There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth to that, okay? The truth is a heavy burden. It's easy. It's easy to get out there and trip through life day to day and not pay attention to this stuff, not think that it affects you, and just go about your blissful, merry way. That's ignorance is bliss. Indeed. <laughs> if you take the red pill, it has consequences. It hurts. <laughs> so I don't know where Brent is. This is highly unusual, A, for him to not check in in some capacity. And I, even though I think Brent at times has a tendency, remember the absent-minded professor? I think Brent has that kind of tendency a little bit sometimes, but I don't. I know he's not to the extreme to the point where he doesn't that he misses a Friday and doesn't have any contact. So I don't know what's come up, but uh, if uh, if he's not meant to be with us today, we certainly don't have any lack of things to talk about. I'd be guessing he's in a deep research on a case that he had that cropped up all of a sudden. Well, normally when I get up earlier in the morning, I shoot him, uh, you know, go get his profile up on Skype and just say, hey, see you in an hour, two hours, or whatever the case may be. And I didn't really do that until about 20 minutes before the show, and uh, uh, he has not responded back. That's pretty unusual. So he's distracted somehow. I think we'll give him a leave, figuring he's got important things to do. However, my visit to uh, (laughs) Newport Beach was really quite curious you know whenever they make you that offer they're going to make you a star uh if you come along peacefully and want to know what trips your trigger and what would make you happy and what would buy your allegiance it is a rather intriguing experience and esoteric implications abound well chris you didn't go into your trip too much uh, when you spoke of it the other day, you gave us a little more detail just then. Um, uh, be you know what's the um, what's the old cliche? We're dragging out old cliches today. The old mm. cliche, beware of Greeks. Yeah, tell me more. Okay, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, the trigen horse. If you uh, like that one, going back a little while. Uh, these are all things that are very apropos and in play today, for sure. Uh, you know, recognizing whenever uh, 
uh, golden apple is offered to you is um, being that it may have a worm in it <laughs> is certainly an interesting position for one to be in and, I, and to be singled out and, and Chris, made that uh, offer is certainly uh, go ahead it's not a worm it's a hook Oh, well, a hook, a worm. Yeah, it could be a worm turned into a hook. I, I don't argue with you. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I don't know how much you want to tell us about all that and give us background or not, but evidently we got a little bit of a grasp that somebody was uh, 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 trying to solicit your uh, cooperation. Would that be a good way to put it? Well, uh Let's see, there was a song, I think it might have been Ray Saban, Step Right Up, We're Going to Make You a Star. <laughs> uh, when you go to a library in Newport Beach, in fact, the Newport Beach Library, and you're first told that they're wanting to keep a low profile and not be cognized because they are got a target on them and under surveillance, and the moniker of the party that I was supposed to meet that travels with the bodyguard uh, is the professor and uh, the bodyguard was pretty substantial and very well appointed well, I had a nice really nice suit with a white kerchief done like I do and a kind of a pointed flower look in his pocket uh, very personable individual okay. uh, Chris, from being originally oh, from Baghdad let me interrupt for a second I want you to continue I'm going to take a little break and monitor what you're saying. i got to go see a man about a horse. And uh, if you'll fill about a minute, two minutes uh, with your story, that'll be great, and I can keep up with it. So let me do this, and you continue, okay? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I was specially invited. In fact, I was told later that the uh, female Jewess, who is also deeply in trenched in the Roman Catholic training, so she's kind of conflicted, and a very intriguing woman from the lesbian persuasion in particular, who got me the invite and lobbied on me. She travels with a lot of the uh, higher elites and uh, money powers, and we had been to the Laura Langle Laurel Langemeyer seminar that was pretty intriguing. In fact, there's some more things coming from that that I might share later on. Uh, but she apparently had done quite a bit of promotion and claiming that I had some abilities that were noteworthy and uh, my acquired knowledge from study and from extraterrestrial powers, gifts, and uh, that were worthy of some note by particular groups of people. And you know, I'm not one to bally who the special abilities I've been charged with because I know they're not mine. It's just something I've been blessed with or char or cursed with as the case may be when you take the red pill and you actually wake up and know things and you do due diligence study and investigation to discern the truth along with a lot of others around the planet that are doing the same thing and you're uh, targeted and marked and taken special note of by some people uh, I don't know how many people listen to our shows here and other places I contribute, but apparently there's some substantial note being taken of things that we're doing. And I'm not sure that's without some implications. And I think it's certainly worthy that the truth is a powerful message that a lot of people are 
seeking and give great value to, and that may have some connection to why I was invited to this special meeting. And at the special meeting, this guy is a deep state ringmaker of extraordinary ability on the deep side of Trump and uh, Jerome Corsi and uh, Jerome, Cors- J- Jerome Corsi's tied into the Mossad. Oh, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, I don't discount that, and I was without knowledge of that either. Go ahead. Well, no, thank you, man. I feel a lot better. <laughs> For a very few times I ever have just to uh, dart out the back door, so to speak. But, uh, man, I had to at that point. Thank you. Uh I'm glad I give you a pause for the cause. Well, me too, me too. So, uh, so basically, and you over in Newport Beach, I, there, that's famous. Newport Beach is famous for something called the Wedge, which is a little wave that forms off of some jetties there that people uh, surf on uh, with boards and stuff and body surf. Are you familiar with that there in Newport, Chris? I was not familiar with the way it went, no, no. but we did take a trip down to the pier, and that was kind of pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Well, next time you go, if you go again, tell them to take you to the wedge. It's pretty interesting to sit there and watch on a big surf day because this wave just comes out of nowhere. I mean, because the Pacific's so deep, you know, there, and the way the beach is structured at that point, the wave comes in, you got jetties on one side, you know, the rocks that are built out to give a channel in for boats, and the the way the wave direction comes in, it's just a few feet from the shore, not very far, that thing rises up to 10, 15, 20 feet sometimes. It just comes, wham, it just comes out of nowhere, and guys get out there with flippers and little boards, and go rise it and, it, and it can, if you get to the top of one of those waves, it can slam you down on the beach uh, because it's so close to the shore. Yeah. A pretty interesting place. Next time you're out there, go by and see it. I think you'll enjoy looking at it. Well, in fact, there are many other uh, interesting aspects. When we've parted our conversation and uh, gone to a fairly lengthy dinner uh, or lunch, it was extended at the dinner, and we took the professor home, he lived in one of the most expensive neighborhoods, in fact, the most expensive neighborhood in the U.S. Hey, I did note that it was pretty nice uh, digs he was living in, and we parted our companies. But before we parted our companies in our initial introduction, I guess I had to be looked at and given the approval or the affirmation that I was the type of man that had been described to him and not of any ill intents and harms uh, to the professor. And so I guess I was given the approval by the professor and his bodyguard, and uh, we were allowed to escort him because apparently his vision is challenged significantly. And he's a very, very interesting man, I must tell you, and quite informed and on the inside and uh, like I say, when you're on the inside of the Trump train and you know the very deep intrigues that his uh, guise of getting into office was he promised Melania that he would not be elected, and that was the only auspices he was allowed to run for the election. Of course, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and he did wind up as the POTUS, and I guess the... Uh, urinating on the bed and the Stormy Daniels stories may have caused some trouble in paradise and he may be an uh, unfortunate celibate by circumstance uh, for the duration of the four-year tenure. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I assume you're talking about Mr. Trump. Yes, the Mr. Donald P. Trump. Well, I, I got to uh, You got to tip your hat to you know, and I guess she's kind of taking the posture of Jackie Kennedy uh, with uh, uh, with Alanya. Is that his wife's name? I get all his uh, Melania. Melania. I get all his wife's names mixed up. I'm sorry. I just don't keep up. With yeah, kind of stuff. Had a pretty long string of them. <laughs> yeah, when they they all pretty much <laughs> look, they, you know, they came out of the same mold in essence and all that stuff. So anyway, I can imagine that that's pretty hard on her because she seems to be a really slick, super sweet, good lady. From the, uh, of course, you, you you never know what she's like in person, but uh, the public appearance and the image she gives off is very Jackie Kennedy esque to me. I think many have made that observation. She has an impeccable facade, and uh, I think genuinely well-earned because she is a, a high-quality woman of the highest substance and could be used very effectually in a Jackie-esque role of being an ambassador for good and proper things well, as opposed to perverse things. Well, I can tell you one thing. She's be, she'd be one heck of a lot better role model than some of these feminist hags that are walking around. <laughs> yes, I, I have to concur with your assessment. I mean, you know, that's a, just a, from a casual observation. Um, let me go. I got a couple, since Brent's not here, a couple of interesting things to talk about. I was going to dump them out because generally we just let, you know, we take wherever and let Brent take the lead. It's generally a spiritually oriented show, which is fantastic. All of us get a lot out of it. But since he is a no show today, and I'm curious as to why we'll find out later. Uh, I got a couple of articles that I was, I dumped a couple out, unfortunately, but I saved a couple just because they were interesting to me. And I sent them uh, this one particular one to a friend of mine who's in construction down in Argentina. Um, Whoever knew that urine, speaking of my recent trip here to see a man about a horse, whoever knew that urine would be so uh, valuable? Uh, South Africa. It's for dissolving spines from the sea urchins. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, This one particularly to me, South Africa turns human pee into construction material. Hmm. Okay. Now here's what they're doing. I just read. There's. It is an. It's a. Listen. It's going to get more interesting in just a second when you find out what's going on. Um, and the startling thing to me was at the end, so I'll save that. Uh, South Africa is a whiz at slashing the environmental impact on construction, of construction. And it's about the only thing they're good at down there, as best I can tell. Uh, as bricks made from human urine are set to come on stream thanks to a student at the University of Cape Town. The youth researcher managed to combine people's urine, which had been collected from special designed male-oriented, here's the male figure again, male-oriented urinals at the university's engineering building with sand and bacteria. A process called microbial carbonate precipitation reportedly allows the bricks to solidify at room temperature, unlike traditional bricks that are baked in a high-temperature kiln, producing a lot of carbon dioxide. 
Moreover, the mm. bio-brick process produces nitrogen and potassium as a byproduct, which can be used as components to commercial fertilizer. Well, good. They can use it on all the land they're seizing up there from the white farmers. Maybe they'll be able to grow something. Yeah. Uh, so this is quoting the bio bricks are created through a natural process called microbial carbonate precipitation. Not unlike the way seashells, here's what you're talking about, Chris. Seashells are formed. Seashells are formed. Loose sand is colonized with bacteria that produce Ureas, U-R-E-A-S-E, whatever that is. Ureas is what it looks like. No, no, urea is what comes from the urine. This is something mixing the brick, the the sand, and the bacteria that produce ureas, U-R-E-A-S-E. The ureas breaks down the urea in urine while producing calcium carbonate through a chemical reaction. Senior lecturer at Waste Quality at UCT, Dylan Randalls, said, commenting on the matter. The cement, the sand, let's see, this cements the sand into any shape, whether a solid column or, now, for the first time, a rectangular building brick, he said. The strength and the shape of the bio bricks can be altered as required. The newly invented construction material can be 40% stronger than limestone brick, according to Randall. This word gets interesting mm. here. The longer you allow the little bacteria to make the cement, I guess before it interacts with the urine, the stronger the product is going to be, he said noting that the process might be further optimized in the future. According to Randall, this is this little thing that, that uh, got me at the end here. According to Randall, urine is liquid gold. By volume, <laughs> by volume, urine accounts for less than 1% of domestic wastewater. But... It contains 80% of the nitrogen and 56% of the phosphorus and 63% of the potassium found in the entire wastewater system. That sounds a little Rumpelstiltskin-esque, spinning S-H-I-T or P-E-E into gold. Well, I'm telling you, man, that those, those could be, if, it, if the urine in the wastewater system accounts for less than 1% of the volume, and yet it's got 80% of the nitrogen, it, it attributes to the entire body of the wastewater system 80% of the nitrogen, 56% of the phosphorus, and 63% of the potassium. That That's an incredible incredible ratio man if this turns into a viable project and doesn't have any deleterious side effects like the chinese drywall uh it could be a very beneficial both economical and fuel efficient and therefore a sustainable project because 
firing bricks is a very expensive project with the amount of fossil fuels that have to be burned to make them solidify. Yep, or even just traditional uh, uh, fueling the the kilns, like where I live, there south of uh, south of San Rafael in Argentina, they had a group of uh, Col- uh, not Colombians, uh, Bolivians that had been there for some time and they had taken over the manufacturer of the brick process and uh, i had a guy that came down and visited me from the u.s who was a brick cleaner that was his job and his business okay up in tennessee and so uh he wanted to go out to where they were making these bricks and he went out there and spent a whole afternoon with them and came back and said it's exactly the same way they made bricks in egypt they are making the the, the yeah. the yeah exactly because there's a lot of dirt around there in that high oh. desert and they turn it into the bricks which is used in construction everywhere down there. So there it's got in oh. this article it's got a picture of them holding it holding out three different forms, three different uh, 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 geometric sizes of these bricks that he's talking about. So a couple of them are small and a couple of them are rectangular. They look like regular concrete blocks to me. I've handled plenty of concrete blocks in my lifetime and <laughs> and that's what uh, that's what one side of those concrete blocks looks like for sure. but it's a very very interesting in that story. That's uh, quite intriguing. Uh, new technology and building uh, products is certainly uh, worthy of note. A new approach to an age-old endeavor that basically, as I was just illustrating, in some parts of the world has not changed in two to three, four thousand years. Well, you know, being an electrician and creating concrete encased electrodes, a.k.a. U for grounds, we have discovered that peeing in the hole tends to enhance the conductivity and the assimilation of the metallics and concrete with the earth and make a good ground. And I'm sure that, you know, those are minerals we're talking about in those high concentrates, and adding the minerals to the water's probably got to help the conductivity would be my guess. Ho, 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 look at this. Look at this now. Look at who. Does see, is it, is it today that you got the time zones mixed up again? <laughs> Yeah, you're you're catching on, Roger. You're catching on. Now I don't catch on. You know, Brent, that never even entered my mind until you just called. I I know it was the top of the hour, you know, subconsciously. And so, well, welcome, Brent. I told him that you might show up along the way somehow. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm all right. Uh, I'm just curious what you been talking about the nice thing about this show is you have so many good co-hosts at the same time that it you're never at a want for something to discuss with somebody because there's always somebody there well most of the time that's true one day this week on wednesday it did not apply because i was sitting there on the show i got up i got everything ready and i didn't switch the profile over to the network profile so i've still got my personal skype profile up there and i'm asking people to call and nobody's calling (laughs) but i don't have the right profile up and some of those people call a bunch of times man i'm getting emails and i instant messages (laughs) so right at the end of the show i I look down this is interesting brent uh i look down and i and and see it's got your little logo in there and they're they're different of course and i see it's not the people's patriot network logo it's my personal one and i go holy smokes i've been looking at it for an hour and a half and i didn't even catch it 
Okay. So Wrong it brought me to a, and I mentioned it yesterday, but I specifically thought about you. Okay. Um, years ago, and I heard Pastor Peters talk about this on the radio show. And then one time I went up to see him at the uh, uh, Christian Broadcast Association gathering in Nashville one year. And uh -huh. he had a meeting off to the side for his uh, people that wanted to see him. And he pulled it off in this meeting at the same. And I knew what was coming, but others in the audience didn't. What there, there's, a, there's a sentence. I've got it somewhere if I diligently go look for a few minutes. And it starts out, finished files are the product of, and it, ha and it goes on for a little bit. And you put this sentence in front of somebody. And then you say, can you count the F's? And they invariably cannot. And I mean, in the one in the demonstration that I saw Pastor Peters do personally, one of the guys out of the audience was a CPA, and there's two or three professional lawyers, people up there, and he's got this sentence written on a blackboard, and he says, can you count the Fs? And nobody gets it right. And the reason is because in the sentence, the word of is used three or four times. And as you're reading the sentence, your mind, as you read of, your mind sees the F as a V and you don't count it. Uh-huh. So, you're so used to just, uh, and besides that, you add the word of without even, uh, without even having to read it because you're so used to seeing it in that construction, I'm guessing. And it's right there in front of you and literally tricks your mind. Okay, and I mean, listen, it's interesting to, for you to hear about it, but boy, if you ever saw this demonstrated, it'd just leave mm -hmm. you almost speechless, okay, because of the power of it. Well, I, I'll have to look that up better. I, I've seen things like that, but you know, the word of is, um, for example, in Greek tongue, which the New Testament is written in, and the Hebrew tongue, and the Aramaic tongue, the Semitic tongues, of which there are about 15 or 16, the word of isn't there. You add it. You have to add it with the word to make English sense. It's called the genitive in most cases, but the genitive um, of this and of that, son of, for example, the word of is never a word that's translated by itself in the Bible, uh, with some exception of the preposition, but that really doesn't count. There's other ways to translate it. But, for example, well, the New Testament and the Old Testament both. You see the word of, you just know that it's part of another word. It's not a separate word in that tongue. So even in our minds, it's part of the mental proclivity of mankind, has been my observation, to add the word of, even if it isn't there. And we see it there, but we don't see it, because we get a flow and of, of words in our heads and we're flowing along and we can kind of add it in as we go. Now, that's true of a lot of things. We don't notice the vowels. Of course, in that case, the F is a soft word or a soft letter and it's not noticed sometimes, but I'd like to see exactly what it was he did. You, I, I think you described it, but I, I did. You broke up for a minute and I oh, didn't catch exactly well, what it was. Well, I tell you, it's been tech problem week too but that's not unusual uh i it's finished files are the result of many years of hard work or something it's a really it's a silly little sentence oh okay it, it doesn't have any real even context but it's got a bunch of f's in it and people invariably can i think there was eight f's in the sentence and people go okay. four five six they just never see them <laughs> 
Wow. Wow. Now, I wish you hadn't tipped me off at this point. I'd like to try it, but I'll, all right, I'll find another. I'll try and go back and get the exact sentences back in a, you know, I've changed computers three or four times, and those things get lost, not lost, but back categorized. And I think I can go find it. Uh, and if so, I'll shoot it to you because you could use it in, in your work. It's a very powerful illustration to people that, that uh, uh, people can pull magic on your mind. Oh, I see. And that was his point. Yeah. That the mind can, can be tricked. Words. I mean, if you, if, if you can't even see it and it's right in front of you and you're an educated man with a degree and a professional and you still can't catch it, what does that tell you? Uh, that tells you everybody's gullible. That's what it tells you. And the people that are teaching you that are the experts, they're as gullible as anybody else, if not more so. Yeah. That's what it tells me. And I've observed that throughout my life. I was listening this morning. But I want to say one thing before I launch off on what I was listening to earlier, but, uh, one of your listeners right before uh, about five, 10 minutes before nine o'clock or I don't know when it was right, right before I got on, he, um, texted me on the telephone and said, uh, Roger's missing you. Now I won't say his name. Maybe he doesn't want me to, but, uh, I, uh, I appreciate him doing that because that kind of woke me up. There's something wrong here. I better, I've just before I was fooled myself. See, I'm fooled. I'm gullible. I'm an intelligent, oh, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I'm as smart as anybody else, and I can't keep track of time zones. <laughs> and you'd think that this would be important enough to me that I could, but as hard as I try, I, I bungle it in the midst of all the other things I'm doing. But, um, and I appreciate him doing that and sending me that text. But I was, uh, this morning, I'm listening. I don't know how I, oh, I, yeah, I was looking up something, uh, some uh, textual problem in the New Testament. You know, listen, there are some deviations in the manuscripts at some points, nothing that really changes anything, but still you like to be as accurate as you can. And I ran across these uh, Baptists. Now, one Baptist was a Reformed Baptist. He's at the top of his, he's a cage fighter of a debater. That's what he spends his time doing. He travels all over the world debating Islamic people and uh, Roman Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. He's been doing it for decades. I call him the cage fighter of uh, of uh, the Baptist denomination. The cage but, uh, fighter. He's tough. The yeah, cage he fighter. Stuff. Yeah. He. We well, know you just can't. He, the guy can. He can. He can. Uh, he can make you look stupid without even trying. But he's um, he's he's well informed on his subject, and his chief subject is the manuscripts of the New Testament, and he's as well informed as anybody I've ever run across. But He's at war, at absolute war, with the King James-only crowd. And the King James-only crowd, since uh, Ruckman down in Florida passed away here not too long ago, it's headed up now by a fellow named Gip. Uh, Sam, I've never met these fellows. I just see them on the Internet. Well, they get to fighting with one another, and these Baptists. I finally concluded this morning that that's part of Baptist culture among Baptists, and these fellas rip into each other. They start out by saying things like, well, I don't want to be personal or anything, but we've got to talk about the truth here. And within 15 minutes, he's calling the other guy the names right on the edge of what you what you would not want to say on the radio. It's like I mean, politics. It's like oh, politics. Oh, man, these guys, and I don't care if it's this Reformed Baptist fellow who is uh, part of the professorial class, very measured, very calculated, very logical, overeducated, some would say, or 
these fellows that are the King James only crowd that are intelligent men, but a lot of them aren't, uh, they haven't spent their lives trying to, to um, learn the intricacies of the Greek tongue or the Hebrew tongue, but they have spent their lives doing a lot of hard thinking. They're not stupid men. I don't want to say that about anybody. They're intelligent men. But uh, from the most formally educated ones to the least, these Baptists hate each other. They call each other names. They rip each other to shreds. They even say, these fellows start out the ones that say, well, I don't want to be personal. By the time 15 minutes is up, they're calling the other fellow a demon worshiper. I'm not exaggerating. Now, this <laughs> fellow named Anderson, Anderson, out of very, very well known, Anderson is out of uh, Phoenix. He's the guy that wouldn't speak to the border agents when they stopped him, rolled his window up, and they finally busted the window, drug him out of the car, and stomped. Yeah, they stomped his head into the pavement. Injured him pretty bad. He took him to court, and I'd met the, the lawyer that defended him. He's a good lawyer, but he's a good criminal lawyer. He can, boy, he can tear it down. And uh, he won that case. He, uh, he got judgment against them. Whether or not he collected is quite another question. That's often the problem with the government. You can you can win against them one in ten thousand, but even if you win against them, it may take you forty years to get the money if you do. But at any rate, he's, and not uh, to well mention known. the grief of your life, especially oh, yeah. if you're pro yeah. a pro se and you got to dedicate your life to learning this stuff to go in there and fight them in this crooked arena, which the yeah. which the opinion is here, almost here. foregone before you walk in the door. Well, I'm glad this fellow did this. I didn't want to. And you can go watch the whole trial, by the way, and the whole argument, the Fourth Amendment arguments, the Fifth Amendment, all of them. You can watch them on the Internet. It's worth watching in the Phoenix courts. You can see it. The guy's name is Pastor Anderson. But to, not to get away from my subject, I didn't want to bring that up. It was important because he did an important thing. And there are things that people like that do. I get weary of all their viciousness, but it's part of their culture. It's in their circle. They can do this to each other, and I suppose it's none of my affair. Matter of fact, it's kind of entertaining to watch them do it. But if I've after after knowing Baptist all these years, I've never been a Baptist, never wanted to be a Baptist. My father told me I better never be a Baptist, and I never have been, don't want to be. Yeah. You know, those guys, we, we had a church, a Baptist church in town. You know, mostly little town in the Midwest. You got a Baptist church, you, you got a Presbyterian church, you got a Methodist church, and you got a Church of Christ. That's the way it is in the Ohio Valley, the Mississippi Valley, the Wabash, all that part of the world, down on down into Oklahoma and Missouri. You got all that. Well, usually when you go into a town like that, there's one church that is the church where all the wheels, the big wheels in town go. Of course, you don't have to be too big in a town of 1,500 people to be the big wheel. You're the big frog in the little pond there. And uh, all of them go there. The money, they've got the biggest building because the people that have money go there, and then it becomes a matter of pride who can build the biggest, fanciest buildings. Well, when I was growing up, it was the Methodist church that was the big church in town. They had the big organ, and they had the stained glass windows, and they had the big church right downtown. And everybody went to church there. My grandmother, when she was a girl, she used to hire out and take care of babies when women have babies, and so she'd go to different churches. Churches, she went to Southern uh, the Southern, what was it? The Southern Presbyterian Church for a long time. But when she, but then when she would be with these other families that had money, she'd go to the church where the big wheels went at the Methodist Church. And that's the church the Ku Klux Klan would always show up in and <laughs> during the middle of the service. And they'd have their hoods on, they'd march down, and they'd interrupt the sermon and throw money on the altar and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, but now the big church in town went from Methodist. Now it's the Southern Baptist Church. The Southern Baptist Church in town is the church where all the wheels go. Yeah. And um, those fellows, 
the, the difference with those fellows is uh, those Southern Baptists, they just like to fight. Or not the Southern Baptists, actually. The Baptists in general, especially the Bible Baptists, the Fundamentalist Baptists, the Jerry Falwell class of Baptists, they rip each other apart. And um, it's fun to watch. I don't want to be a part of it. Just because I haven't got time to do that scratching and biting. But I guess it finally dawned on me this morning that even those that are um, in the upper echelons of their universities, the Baptist universities, they get into this too, because I'm watching it. And, um, I, and as I get older, I understand who these people are. You don't really understand who a group is. You can't, unless you get inside and spend a few years. Well, you, you can, can imagine you want. I've done all that influence at the university level is very coveted in the infighting. Oh, my, yeah, that's the way these fellows are. And then they start their own schools. I'm not against all that. That's part of America that people have the, the, well, we do that. We, we, we do do that. We've always done that. Uh, we have started our own, we take our own Bibles. We figure it out for ourselves. And if somebody else doesn't like it, there's nothing that can change it. You're not subject. We're not people that are subject to church hierarchies, although we're getting that way. Uh, we, the, the old Europe is that way. England's always been that way. They still, it's part of, it's in their blood. They submit themselves to church hierarchies, to church authority. Oh, this man is watching for my soul. Well, that's part of Baptistism, too, because Baptists don't have any church government outside the preacher as a general rule, and his word governs, and that's the end of it. And that's one reason why, of course, Dad didn't want me to be a Baptist, and I'm glad I'm not, and I don't want to be, and I think my father was right, because you show, here's the way you determine what true Christianity is. What, 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 what a, 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 if a man or a woman, one of the ways, there are many other tests given in the Bible. Uh, the book of First John especially is the, fo the focus of that book, is tests whereby you may know if you're born from above, or whether you, by you may know somebody else is, and it's a beautiful presentation, but I've noticed, uh, if you go to a church where people do not, they reject the law of the land, they reject the forms of God's government, the, which are the way things are done, the courses of process, and they substitute for that a man, a man who controls everything. That's Baptistism. It's also Pentecostalism, and all of the charismatic churches are that way. All the TV, well, not all, near all of them, but um, there is some exception there. But you, you show me a church where there's one man that is the government. The Calvary chapels are all that way because they're assembly of God. They're all for the assembly of God. And all of the emotional, more emotive, I say, churches, um, the, the ones that observe the, the gift of tongues and all those things and, and do all those things. It's usually always a one-man show, always. And the Pentecostal church is always a one-man show. The Baptist churches, even if they have a board of deacons, it's a one-man show. Well, they've rejected. By doing that, they have rejected the government of God. What is the government of God? The government of God is a rule, is rule by an eldership, a plurality of some have said of elders. That's clear through from the book of Genesis right on through to the end of the New York Testament. And you show me the, 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 the critical mass of the form of government, of the religious institutions of a country, and I will show you the government of that country. And that's why we have, traditionally in America, although that's changing now very rapidly, but traditionally we had us elders. We called them the senile ones, the senate. And... Um, we have, of course, House representatives, but elders, gray-headed men. Um, in old England, it was the same thing. Parliament was the reconstituting of the Wittengamot, of the Anglo-Saxons and the Danes and the Celts, even. And the Wittengamot, Witten, means white. And 
Gemot means meeting. It is the meeting of the, the white-headed meeting, the meeting of the white-headed men, the elders, the older ones, the aldermen, the eldermen. Well, that's the way God said churches are, his people, call them churches, call, that's not really a good translation of that word either. But his people are to be governed when they come together by a plurality. Of elders could be two, could be three, could be thirty. I went to a church one time; it was big enough. There were fifty elders in that church, and the fellow that was the preacher at the church was a, from a long, long line of Baptists, going back quite a few generations, going back even to Canada and over to Scotland. And um, but he couldn't get rid of the idea that he was in charge. It was kind of fun to watch because the elders would do nothing in that church; fifty of them do nothing without unanimous consent, and that's a good idea too. But they ended up always doing what he wanted. That's kind of the way it worked in that particular organization. And he was Baptist all the way, and everything else he did was Baptist. It's hard to get out of your blood if you're a Baptist. Uh, let, me, let me embellish no, that. Well, well, Go ahead. Well, it, this is not exclusive to the Baptists, evidently. Uh, and I almost dumped this story out. Usually I'm, I, I accumulate these stories I'm going to talk about that I find interesting. But I, I was telling the audience, since you, you, I have you on today, usually we don't cover that sort of stuff. But you, I, I had saved the article anyway, and it's kind of interesting from a couple of different standpoints. And it fits kind of uh -huh. in with what you're talking about. And the article's title is very short, what I'm going to read you. Netizens at odds, the netizens, the citizens of the net, are at odds over Pope Francis's fresh remarks on populism and Hitler. And you were talking about the elders just then. The comments came at a presentation of a book about the wisdom of the older generation in the Vatican, <laughs> which I know you get a real thrill out of, where an elderly woman told the pontiff that she teaches Italian to immigrants and is concerned over the growing sentiment against refugees that are taking over their country and raping all their women and all that stuff, you know, sucking off the public teat, etc. Pope Francis has compared populist politicians with leaders of the Third Reich out of Hitler. Popu that was N.A. stood for National Socialism, not Populism. And the Z.I. stood for Zionism, okay? And here's the Pope trying to, in this public exchange, tell people and, and attack, attach populism to socialism, which is nothing but a, but a communist that, without a gun, okay? Well, yeah, that's right, Roger. And I, what I read in history is that the uh, Pope of Rome... Um, uh, did support Hitler? Who are we kidding? He did. Uh, they, he did. It sure, for a long they did. Time. Mussolini the of the evil empire. Why? But it's, it's fun. <laughs> he was under the same law. They they had everything in common. They were under the law of the city, the canon law, and the code of Bismarck, which was the code of Justinian, reconstituted in 1900. But the same law, the same fundamental one man show rule kind of thing and so we would expect the pope to think that was great and he does by the way he does always has they'll say anything these popes will say anything they only got one thing on their mind of course is power power and control and control of men not of control of land i find it fascinating too. think about this uh, the vatican wasn't the united states never recognized the vatican because uh, until reagan reagan was the one that was foolish enough to do that recognized it as a country why well because the vatican had no land 
uh, countries have land. That's part of international law. It has been for a long time, has a bounded territory. Well, the Vatican's never had that. The Vatican doesn't care about land. They care about people. Why? Because they don't get their wealth from land. That's not the way they see it. They're under the law of the city. Their wealth comes from people. You either fleece them, you steal it from them, you murder them, you rape them, you plunder them. And isn't it just a sick? It's just sick. Here a man who is a head of the largest pedophilia ring, arguably, in the history of mankind, and, has been, and it has been for centuries, and he's telling us what we ought to think and what we ought to do, and we ought to love one another. Is it loving to protect men that sodomize children and each other? Is that loving? No, that isn't loving. That's what he's doing. It's um, time we wake up. I don't know that we ever will. I don't perceive that we ever will. I'm going to. I hope there's one or two that are listening to say, yeah, I'm not having anything to do with that filth anymore. I'm done with it. Um, I want what God wants. I want you, his will. You know, it's very interesting. The Vatican was not given the sovereign territory uh, that it has been today. You know when that happened? Under Mussolini. Mussolini did oh, he, that. Yeah, okay. well, I didn't know that's that important roger i i wasn't aware of that so you're saying even that little tiny teeny tiny land mass they have there around the vatican that is now their territory the only reason they have that then is a, so that they could claim status as a country as a state yeah so because one yeah. of these populists named mussolini gave it to him <laughs> let me let me just pop a, a few a little bit more of this article i mean i just about my eyes bugged out when i saw it last night speaking at a presentation of a book about the wisdom of the older generation in the vatican it must have been a short book he underscored the importance of telling the younger generation about the history of the world wars quote so that they do not fall into the same mistake and know how populism spreads now here's a quote from him i think hit i think of hitler last century who had promised the development of germany that we know how populism starts by showing hate you can't live sowing hate that's pope francis well why why is it then if that's true pope francis and all those that precede him spent have 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 burned alive not thousands but hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people is that love it's very loving is it love to sodomize little boys and little girls is that love no it isn't love god says is doing what i tell you to do keep my commandments do not covet lie steal commit adultery or murder your neighbor and anybody who doesn't hate those that do that there's something wrong with them there's something sick about them god hates people who do that how do I know? Well, he says so. Now, I can believe what other people tell me, what they want to think about God, or I can believe what he has said about himself on good evidence written. And I tend to think that it makes sense that he would hate people that abuse other people. And I believe he does. The Pope of Rome is abusing other people now. He abuses them economically. He abuses them sexually, and he protects those who do. That's what Rome's all about. That's what the Roman law is all about. And that kind of talk, Oh, we just need to love one another. Well, that's what the kind of stuff that Satan said in the Garden of Eden. That's the kind of stuff the hippie sticks were saying in the 60s. That's the kind of stuff the beatniks were saying before that in the 50s. That's the kind of stuff that the Lower East Side vermin were saying uh, that were promoting the Russian Revolution in New York City. That's the kind of stuff the bohemian people were saying, no, the bohemian culture people were saying, like Clarence Darrow and that crowd in Chicago. This is nothing new. How about it's the still going on. How about the French how about the French Revolution? I can't. I just can't uh, shut up sometimes. How about the French <laughs> Revolution, liberty, fraternity, equality? 
Yeah, and when you start preaching equality, and there have been plenty of historians that have said this, hate begins immediately. Because when you start talking about equality, you're talking about this equals that and I equal you. That is a lie because I do not equal anybody else. And nobody else equals me exactly. Equal means exact. That We're all different. And once you say men and women are equal and uh, sodomites are equal with heterosexual people and uh, the rich man is equal to the poor man and the tall man is equal to the short man and the fat man is equal to the skinny man and the, the fat woman is equal to the skinny and on and everybody's no I don't want everybody to be equal if everybody were equal life would be unbearable it'd be boring because as hell the, yeah the uniform that you watch the evil empire always promotes equality which means uniformity you all wear the same clothes. You all have the same amount to eat. You all have the same little stinking house, little cracker box apartment to live in or whatever it is. You all have the same car. That's Russia. That's communist Russia. Everybody is equal. Nobody's in charge. You want to see equality. I'll tell you how, here's how it works. And this is what played out in Russia. In Russia, they had a, a word um, that was equivalent to comrade. It wasn't the word comrade. We, we say comrade, and that's, it has kind of the same meaning. I learned this recently from a Russian who grew up uh, in the communist system. I knew they used the word comrade, and I can't pronounce the other word, but it wasn't a Russian word. It was a word of one of the satellite countries of Russia. But the idea of comrade was this, and this is what this person told me. When I was growing up and when I was adult, then everybody, there were no you're above me and I pay homage to you and I respect you and your position. No, we all called each other comrades. And we all called, well, they didn't use the word comrade because we were all equal. All equal? Here it is played out in America. And I don't want anybody to have to experience this, but here's the way it really works. You go to any federal or state prison, you'll discover that the rule there is nobody, none of the prisoners have authority over any other prisoner. None. Uh, you can't, even when you work in the kitchen, that one prisoner can't tell the other one what to do. By law, they do, don't get me wrong, because it's impossible to live that way. So everybody's equal. Then you have people over them uh, called uh, correctional officers, which are nothing more than prison guards. They're just jail guards. That's all they are. And they have clubs and guns and stuff like that. And if you don't all act like you're equal the way they want you to, they beat you down. That's what went on in Russia. Oh, they were all equal except they had these people that were goons that kept them in that position, all equal. You're all going to be beaten down and submit to us. That's what the Pope of Rome is now promoting. That's what Romanism has always promoted. And I know there are people listening and saying, oh, but they didn't say that. Their real Mother Teresa was really a wonderful... Go back and read about Mother Teresa. Everything about Rome is a promotion to get more money. There is no real, genuine love for your fellow man and your neighbor going on. Oh, um, it's all about how can we promote this thing and get more money. And then Mother Teresa was used to do that. She may have done some good things, but I've talked to people that have been to India and those places and met her. And I remember this one guy said, it was funny, I went in this place where, this, where she was supposed to be working, and they had the, the walls were covered with Buddha gods and goddesses. That's the way Romanism works. Hey, whatever you believe is okay, just so you give us what we want, money and homage. That's the Roman system of the Roman Empire. Sprinkle your incense to the emperor every every year. You got to do that. You got to pay homage to him, and then you can go do whatever you want. 
uh, come in and make confession every Sunday morning, but Saturday nights you can do any blasted thing you want because if you can get the confession, uh, you can just do anything you want. That's just the way it works, and we'll pay for it just, or give us a little money. That You pay for it. You give us a little money, and we'll take your confession. That is the fundamental rule of the Roman system, whether it's the empire of Babylon, the empire of Egypt, the empire of the Roman church, the empire. They're all imperial. And they're all one-man shows. And they're all, oh, you just all love one another, and we'll live up. We're above all that. We can do whatever we want up here. We can be sodomites and steal money and, and run banks and whatever we want to do, control armies and murder people and burn them at the stake. But we do that so that you can all be equal. That's the system. Go ahead, Roger. I was going to say, you know, in the early days of the message, one of my listeners and, and and got to be pretty good friends with her and her husband. They came down and visited me in Argentina. I've told you this story, I think, before, Brent. Uh, uh, she was Gentile, but she married a Jewish guy who turned out to be one of the really most influential guys in Hollywood because he made some important changes in the way the whole structure works out there. They came down and spent a week with me uh, in uh, Argentina on vacation one time, but he went, goes all over the world, had five offices around the world. He was always traveling and he was in Rome on location for a movie they were working on. And he got a private tour of the Vatican down where they don't take people. And he told her and she told me, so that's where it's coming from. It's hearsay, I guess, in a sense, but the chain, the chain of evidence is pretty strong. (laughs) That. Yeah, uh, he saw a solid twenty-four karat gold carriage in the basement of the Vatican. So here are these people overseeing all these. Like where I am down here is totally pretty much catholically oriented in South America, and the, there's just poverty everywhere. And these guys are wanting you to kiss their rings oh, and yeah. stuff so they can have their gold carriages. I, it's just well, unbelievable, was- you know. And yo, oh, it is. It's unbelievable, but it is. I mean, we know that's how evil it all is. It's unbelievable that people continue to put up with it. To me, yeah, that's the thing that sh- people know that the priests are sodomites. I don't know. There may be exceptions. I don't know, but they know they are. But yet they turn their children over to them. I can't believe that they don't know it. And if they don't know it, they you know, do. they're little cute little choir boys and all. If they don't know it, they're charged with the knowledge. You got to know things like that. If they're uh, not, if they don't know it, they ain't. They're they ain't worth a damn at being parents. Well, that's true. But a lot of us like that. We all make mistakes. But I still, I say, we all need to be charged with such knowledge. I was uh, when I was a sailor many moons ago. Um, there was a fella in our outfit who was a World War II veteran, and guy uh, had you know. And, in, in the sailor service, in the naval service, uh, once you get in four years, you get another stripe on your arm, on your sleeve. And, you know, these fellas, this fella had stripes. He ran out of places to put stripes on his sleeve. He'd been in that long. And uh, during, he said during the war, he was a 17-year-old kid when he went into the service during World War II. And uh, he's from Southie in Boston. And uh, he, uh, he knew the... Oh, he didn't know him, but he used to deliver newspapers. He was from the Irish side of town. He was Irish. He delivered newspapers to the Kennedy compound when he was a kid, he told me. But he said his family didn't have anything. They were just, they they couldn't eat what they wanted. They were, in some ways, uh, starving. And um, he said, of course, joining the Navy, he got good chow. And they were feeding them every day, even if they were, it was Navy chow, it was that they got three square, four squares a day on a ship you get. He couldn't wait, he told me. He couldn't, his name was Parsons, Wally Parsons. 
he's got to be gone by now. But he said he couldn't wait to get to, they were going to the med. That's where their ship was going. And he so bad wanted to go to Rome. He so bad wanted to see the Vatican. He so bad wanted to see the Pope. And when he got there, he said all he saw was gold and silver. Things that were so gaudy and ornate, it just shocked him. And he had to process all this. And then we saw the filth of the city. It got worse, and the hookers and all that stuff hanging around the Vatican. He said, I put down that Romanism, and I never picked it up again. Now, this is an Irish fella, raised Irish in Southie, in Boston. He never put it up again. The thing that finally woke him up was he was starving, and they had all, all the wealth. That, he said, made all the difference for him. But we as, as, uh, as men... We don't have to learn from personal experience like he did. We can learn from experience uh, of others like him, uh, given in testimony told. And I realize what I'm telling is one step removed from him, but it, it really drove it home to me even harder because I knew him personally and I liked him. He was a nice fellow. And uh, I pass it along for what it's worth to others. Wake up. Wake up and live in freedom under the vault of heaven. Don't look for some religious leader to stand between you and your God. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. Therefore, he has the right, the authority. He stands between you and the Father, but at the same time, him being fully God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he is God. So there is nothing between you and your God. You do stand under the open vault of heaven right now as I speak, and you can, you can, you must. It behooves you. It is fate for you, if you have ears to hear, to do that, according to his terms. Go ahead, Roger. Well, Brent, I guess, uh, of course, everything you say is uh, weighted in such truth. That's what we try and do is root out the truth here. Um let me just ask you a question on a topical thing. I was asking the you know the guys that were here before you showed up. Uh, did you receive a bomb this week? A bomb? Yeah. B O M B. Yes, as in, you you yeah, don't keep well, up. Well, if I received a well, if I received a bomb this week, uh, I don't know it, and I hope it's not ticking. Don't but go, go ahead. Don't, don't go to the don't go to the mailbox. <laughs> no, there yeah, was yeah, another yeah. one of these false flag things this week. I know you don't keep up with any news, but. Uh, starting on Wednesday, the first one showed up at George Soros's mansion in Westchester. You know, he's a U.S. citizen. I don't know why they hadn't come in and popped him on some of this stuff if he's got jurisdictional nexus to him. But regardless, he lives in the U.S. He's got dual citizenship. The other's Hungarian, if they hadn't yanked uh -huh. it yet. Um, uh, then the next day, it started showing up at a plethora of bad guys. Obama, the Clintons, uh, Eric Holder, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But very interesting, they were packaged for postal delivery but as i was talking to the audience they uh, only had three dollars worth of stamps on them and none of the stamps were canceled and it requires three dollars and fifty cents to send that weight so okay. obviously they were delivered okay. somehow now as as this morning as we're talking as you were talking a minute ago i checked zero hedge well now they've got it supposedly uh, pointed back to a guy in florida who's a big trump supporter <laughs> So, you know, more false flag garbage. Supposedly one was intercepted in the White House, but uh, uh, here before the midterm elections, all these shenanigans, and uh, uh, it's just uh, it, it's becoming 
almost sophomoric. I believe the American people can see through this more and more easily the more desperate they get, which is what this obviously uh, is an example of. Yeah, you can't, you can't sort out the confusion. My first thought was that uh, the sort George Soros funded the whole thing. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, because they're desperate, of course, as you were saying, but they'll, they'll even sacrifice each other and blow each other up just to make a point. Well, they'll none of that. the bombs are, des- yeah. are designed to go off as they're defusing them. They say they're poorly constructed, et cetera, et cetera. It's obviously a publicity stunt. But the thing that sticks out is I know these guys so well. The thing that sticks out is the first one the first day went to his house. You know, when I was a kid, we used to have a saying, the guilty fox smells his own hole first. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It makes good sense. But I no, I didn't receive a bomb, and uh, of course, I don't go to the mailbox. I try to stay away from the postal service as much as possible. Smart. It's an un, well, it's an unconstitutional institution. There, the Constitution gives no authority, grants no authority to the general government in Washington D.C. to li- have a monopoly on delivering mail letters. But they do. Well, I should say letters. They have a monopoly on delivering letters. You know, if you go to FedEx or UPS, you can't send a letter. You have to put it in a package. They, mm-hmm. They're only licensed, or well, it's not really a true license. It's unconstitutional. And I've noticed that, the, of course, the Postal Service was put in place for the single reason of uh, keeping track of who's communicating with who in America. That's why, even where I was from, the, the smallest insignificant places had a post office. Now, they are shutting some of them down now because of money, the Internet is destroying the postal service or they're doing everything they can to stay alive. I hope that uh, they do destroy them. I can see how much better off we would be if we had private and carried. Amazon's kind of keeping them afloat right now. Uh, Doug's Doug's with us. uh, uh, Our friend from Northwest Arkansas must still be raining up there. Uh, But let me just uh, to, to button up what we're talking about the, from my reading and understanding in the, in England, in the old days, they used to have a post in the middle of the town square. And if you wanted to send a message to somebody, you'd go up and, and take a nail and, and bang it into that post. And that's where post office came from. Is that, have you heard that before, Brent? Yes, I have. And I consider it to be substantially true. You know, at home we had what we call, um, RFD. That's yeah. kind of a new thing. Right. That, that stands for rule free delivery. Used to, everybody had to go to the post in town not very long ago to get their stuff. When I was growing up, they wouldn't take it to our house. We had to drive or walk or ride a bicycle or a horse or something down to where the postman would come out partway and he'd deliver it, but he wouldn't come to your house. That's the way it was all over the countryside. Now, but uh, they've increased that rule free delivery to make it look like that. Um, they're taking care of everybody. They're, they they do that on, for, on purpose because they want to make sure that they keep control of everybody. And by the way, the postal workers and the mail carriers do a lot of things that are nasty. And I've had them tell me what they've been ordered to do, spy on people. I mean, who in a little town would know better what's going on in everybody's house? You know, a little town of 3,000 people would only have two mail carriers, and most of them do it that size. And they know everybody, and they know what's going on at their house. I've even talked to mail carriers that have been commissioned to deliver service of process for the federal courts so they couldn't find people and they knew yeah well there were some patriots back in the old days and you know i say old days 20 years ago or more 
that uh, thought that was the jurisdictional nexus because if you've got a post office uh, box on your land, that's federal property, and they were uh, right. uh, assuming that that extended to you and to the property. But it's only, in my knowledge, the post office, the box. Even though you go buy it and you put it up, they own it. Oh, I remember going to a little tiny place in Bone Gap. I lived in Bone Gap, a place called Bone Gap. And there wasn't uh, 500 people there, but that little post office, that gal was just, that they put up for postmaster, she was mad to get get me in, uh, into her system. I said, <laughs> I don't want your mail. I don't want it delivered here. I don't want any post office boxes on my property. But they weren't going to hear it, you know. But I uh, succeeded. I mean, now, it's a voluntary thing. You could, don't have to do it. Couldn't you go to the post office and yeah. just have people send it general delivery? That's the way some people handle it. You go up there and say, yeah, I've got yeah, some packages, yeah. general delivery. You can do that. Yeah. Of course, she was trying to justify her existence and her job. Sure, That's what sure. holds the evil empire together is money and jobs. Uh, the, they don't the, know what they're doing. Uh, they're working for the evil ju- empire, useful idiots. You know? Judges and bureaucrats both want to extend their jurisdiction. Doug, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, I mean, because of uh, being able to listen to uh, not only the show before uh, Brent came on, but especially when Brent comes on because uh, I love my father's word. I, I love the whole aspect of it. I love um, um, studies in law and studies in uh, uh, medicine and that kind of thing. But uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm doing great. I hope everyone else there is uh, also uh, so positioned. Uh <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so uh, this kind of goes to Brent. Brent, did you say early, did you mention the Greek word ek? I didn't mention it, but no, I didn't mention it. But I did refer to it because sometimes it is translated of. But it doesn't mean of. It always means out of. Ek means out of in the New Testament. And uh, even though that doesn't make smooth English, that's what the preposition demands in every case. It speaks of something moving out of, from within, something uh, out to come forth out of it. Yeah. Sometimes it is translated up. And it makes good sense in English, but it doesn't get the preposition, really. Go ahead. Exactly. And, you know, a preposition is um, something by its... um, Alluded meaning is something that comes before, but in some situations, a preposition also acts as a suffix. Uh, but anyway, um, that's not my point. <laughs> uh, my point is, is that in uh, the scripture, there are a couple of important words. Uh, one is the word if, and I know you're aware of that. Um, as to relating to being born again, being saved, uh, uh, this kind of thing. It's a very small word, but you have to understand it in the context of uh, the what's being said. And then another two-letter word is this uh, preposition ek. But in um, as prepositions go. Um, one of the Bibles I use most often is a Boinger Bible. I don't agree with uh, some of his research, but uh, but it's it's great research. The guy spent forty plus years, I think, 
uh, producing this Bible. And um, in, uh, he has appendixes uh, or appendixes in his uh, Bible. And, uh, and on Appendix 104, it uh, speaks of prepositions. And uh, so the words of, by, from, with, and also in, uh, you have to look at the context of how it's to be applied. And um, so the, 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 there's not just Eck. Eck is, um, he actually gives a great diagram, which goes uh, Eck as being from the center. And then he gives Apo, which shows coming from the surface. And then he shows uh, para, which also comes from the surface. And they all have different um, applications. And so, go ahead. No, and the, the uh, diagram that he, that he uses, I've, I've read that appendix to see what he had yeah. to say about it. But uh, in every yeah. case, prepositions, pre, as you had mentioned, mean before. But the other word that it's compounded with is position. A preposition always gives you the position of something. And some prepositions not only give you the position, but give you the movement in that position, in that line. And so to draw a diagram helps us see, in which he does a good job of doing, the, the significance of a preposition. Is, is when Some translations in the Newer Testament will say from, from this to that. But the preposition is ek. Well, yeah. ek doesn't mean from the edge of, out. It means from within. And oppo means the from the edge of. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the yeah, Old yeah. Testament has some of the same uh, kinds of prepositions. But prepositions are the most important part of speech for this reason. Because prepositions describe the position of an object in relation to another object. In other words, prepositions define relationships. And without prepositions, nothing's <laughs> relational. So if we... Look at example for law. The Bible is a great law book. It is the way things are and they will not change. It is the greatest law book ever written. But the fundamental of the law of the God, of the God that made heaven and earth, is that it's a law that's set down to preserve lawful relationships. The law of the city is not about lawful relationships. The law of the city is just about you doing what the, the greatest power tells you to do, the powers that be, not the greatest power the powers that be among men. There, it has nothing to do with relationships. That's why all of the Bible talks about, well, the, the fundamental law of God is under ten headings. Everything in the Bible can be categorized under ten fundamental first principles with overlap with many of them. But those ten fundamental pers, first principles are organized according to relationship. You go to any common law, and the common law is the laws of nature, unwritten in the nature of things in which God has given us, you go to a common law digest on the law, and it's organized. Just look at the volumes, Corpus Juris Secundum. It's uh, or alphabetically organized, over 60 volumes it used to be. And you'll start out with just relationships. It'll say husband, wife, children, parents, bailor, bailey, master, trustee, master, master servant. servant, promisor, promisee. You go to the law of the city, the Code of Justinian, and all the rest of the world, and it's not organized that way. It's organized according maritime law, contract law. It's just organized according to the type of law. Our, our God, you know, people say, well, 
The Bible's not organized as a law book. Oh, yes, it is. It's organized according to relationship, just as our common law is. But the law of the city seems cleaner because it just organizes according to, okay, here's this kind of law here, here's this kind of law here that governs these kinds of how, things. Well, how, yeah, I'll go ahead. Brent, how about the, the God's law is organized by jurisdiction, and they organize theirs by solo jurisdiction? What do you mean when you say that? Master, servant, so, husband, wife—all those are jurisdictional yeah. relationships. They are. That's right, Roger. I see what your point. I see your point. But more fundamentally—not yeah, to argue with that—but more fundamentally, just to try to get the point across, the our common law, the laws of, of our of our land, and which are um, in sync with the laws of the Bible written. It's all about how to preserve lawful relationships, how to preserve them, how to enforce them, in an how order, to perpetrate them. In yeah, an or, in a in, in a God's order. in God's order, but the relationship is dictated by those headings that you're talking about. Over under the law of the city, they got total jurisdiction and authority, and everything is organized underneath that. Yeah, the the state, the powers that be, one man show the will of the state, a single will just controls everything, and you just do what we tell you. That's the only. That's what's stressed. In the law of the city, what's stressed in the law of the land is relationships. Do what, Chris? I just said ab ordo chaos. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just... Um, If I may... Yes, you may. If I may, um, what I'd like to end on, uh, Brent and Roger and everyone else, is, um, excuse me, there are two scriptures in 2 Timothy... One is uh, 2.15, which uh, says to study, to show yourself approved unto the creator, you know, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed or disappointed in your expectation, okay? If you're trusting in him, you got to be, you can't be hypocritical. You have to do your work. You have to study. And then in the next chapter in 3.16, it says all scripture is inspired by him um, so that we can accomplish that. Um, but, you know, he gives us the instruction. But um, so anyway, that that was my uh, last statement there. You know, an important all, adjective, Doug, that, that you don't we don't talk about enough by any means, and that's humility. Okay. And, and and I think in God's word and dictates that we're supposed to be humble, all right? And our enemies are anything but humble. In fact, they have a word in their vocabulary to illustrate it called chutzpah, okay? So uh, uh, that's just an observation. Throw it out there. Well, yeah. No yeah. question, Roger. Humility. Humus. Humility is from the word humus. Humus means dirt. Yep. And that's what Adam means. Adam, we are Adam's kind. We're Adam's race. We are mankind. And uh, Adam means clay. It means dirt. It means from the ground. And uh, we are to recognize that that's what we are. And if we're, uh, if we're willing to recognize that's what we are, that's what we've been made from, then we realize we are made and not we are, we are creator, created. We are creature, not creator. That's humility. Uh, humility says to recognize, honor, and recognize constantly your maker. That's what humility is. And whatever else flows from that is a result of it. It may not appear humble to other people when the Pope stands up and said, oh, I'm just tired of the fighting. Let's all just love one another. You notice he never says anything substantive. He never never expounds, unpacks God. 
God's word, his will, his law. He just says, we need it. That's not humility. He's not humble. He says, I'm God on earth. Is that humility? No. Humility is recognizing that you are creature and you worship a greater God. He says, no, I stand in place of God on earth, do what I say. That's not humility. And when he puts forth his bull, bulla, bulla, that means uh, wrapped in a big ball-looking football-shaped round thing, and puts, and he sends those out to his minions. That's law to them, and they'll kill for it. And he will too, and he knows that, and he's been, the, the, the office of Pope has been doing that for centuries, as has every other false religion. I get down on him. Uh, because he's doing wrong things. He's just the visible one. There's a whole lot of other people and a whole lot of other denominations of Christianity doing just as bad or worse within their little bailiwick. I talked about some of it a while ago. It's all very ugly, very ugly. Come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Yeah, Yeah, they are. Uh, You know, and I think um, that... um, there's another uh, Old Testament scripture that says, can the pot say to the potter, <laughs> you know, I have no need of you. I, I don't need you. You know, you have, you make no difference in my life. Everybody's going to find out in the end that the potter, the creator does have an influence. Yeah. And a great note, the potter makes what he makes out of clay. And that's what we are. So the analogy is very, very if, applicable to us for that and, reason. And if you don't think his laws still apply, go try and step out of a second floor window like I did a couple of months ago. Yeah, that was stupid, Roger. Don't do that anymore. I don't plan. <laughs> I do not plan on doing it anymore. Uh, yeah, and, and the story, the story continues. You know, I was, I was pretty pleased that I had some insurance coverage. It was active because I generally hate insurance. All right. And I refuse to have it because it's it's group liability instead of limited liability. And I personally like limited liability. It helps keep me straight most of the time. Uh, but the insurance company has went out of business, so I'm going to have to oh, foot the whole bill. Well, I'm <laughs> to, glad you're laughing about it. Well, to add insult to injury, it's just been a real expose to me on the bureaucratic institutions in ecuador i had not really had to confront them to this point and there's a couple of incidences in this whole uh process that just kind of make you tilt your head a little bit brent we're getting towards the end of the show i never want to get out of here with we might have some new people listening that uh say who is this masked man and i want them to know where they can get more of you thank you boy the lone ranger was my hero growing up i say i remember him very well but i i don't wear a mask but uh, i know you can't see me i guess that's the analogy you're making but you can go to commonlawyer.com www.commonlawyer.com and go to the media button no go to the events button and it tells how you can listen to me on the radio this common lawyer you can listen to him on the radio five days a week and then of course on roger's show on bpn people's patriot network as far as i know i'm still there i haven't checked roger recently yeah no we're still we're hobbling yeah. along. <laughs> okay. And then also, uh, you can find uh, the books I've got there, the, the, the Common Lawyer's Bible, the, the good book, the, the Godspell. Uh, a, a Common Lawyer translates the Bible from the original tongues over uh, 13,000 footnotes. You can get that there. You can get the comparative law text, uh, 958 pages, uh, excellence of the common law, comparing and contrasting the law of the land and the law of the city, starting with the settling of the city of Babylon 
a reservoir of knowledge, facts, and understanding right there. Happy to have you along for the ride. A little bit of an abbreviated ride today, but that's okay. I think we're about ready to go through this time change, too, in the next couple of weekends. I'm not sure which one. But uh, regardless, always happy to have you, Brent, and what you bring for us all. Um, everybody, if you're interested, keep a pulse on the financials this afternoon. Uh, it, 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 things look real shaky right now and, uh, we'll be back Monday, obviously to talk about it. I think it's going to be a real interesting weekend and I hope everybody sits back, maybe rumulates. There's a good word Brent brought to us, rumulates a little bit on what we discussed today and how you can fit it into your personal and worldview in life. So thanks a lot for being along. I love each and every one of you, and I mean that sincerely. Doug, Chris, uh, Shane, all of you that chimed in, sure do appreciate you. Brent, above all, buddy, we'll see you next Friday. And uh, don't go to the mailbox, okay? Okay. <laughs> hey, we had dueling, ban- dueling Baptists, not Dueling Banjos. Dueling Baptists today. That's what I'll entitle the show, Dueling Baptists. Give me a memory peg. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Well, if it'll, if it'll fit.